A very warm welcome to you this morning, and uh, uh, especially if you're a guest and this is your uh, first time or you're not a, a frequent comer to this church, um, we're going to be continuing our series on Luke's Gospel, and we're going to be exploring what it means to uh, love uh, community, as has been uh, part of our series in Luke's Gospel over the last couple of months. And I hope that you've come having eaten your breakfast, because the setting today is of a great banquet of food. We're talking community catering on a massive scale. Um, There'll be no miserly portions either. I want you to conjure up in your mind a delicious feast uh, involving at least starter, main course and dessert. And for me, that might involve something light to begin with, maybe a watermelon and feta cheese salad. Uh, for main course, it's definitely a juicy steak. And uh, for dessert, uh, my absolute favorite would probably some, be something like a hot chocolate fudge cake with uh, luxurious vanilla ice cream for dessert. I'm in a happy place. <laughs> I hope that you are too. And thanks to the hard work of a few we know in this church, uh, catering on a massive scale is something we're able to do here. Next week, uh, it's going to be my family's leaving lunch, and we're hugely grateful for those who've uh, been able to sign up, and we're hugely grateful for all that this church has given us to us over the last three and three-quarter years. Um, next, uh, uh, following this, is going to be the Passover supper on Monday, Thursday. It's a reflective meal, and it's not to be missed. And then, of course, there's going to be Philip's leaving due to honor all that God's achieved through him and his family over the last 11 years. All this food that we're going to be eating makes me want to believe the old adage that calories consumed on church premises don't count. Maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. Maybe it's a wrong assumption to make. And making wrong assumptions is the lead-in to my first point today. So if you've closed your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to open them back up to page 1048 as we look at chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. You'll also be able to follow uh, through my sermon on uh, some of the uh, wonderfully coloured uh, I don't know what colour it is in the newsletter. There's a bit of a batting order there for you to see. Um, blue, apparently. Uh, let's begin, though, with heading one. Wrong assumptions. At the start of chapter 14, Jesus had been invited to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Other religious leaders were there, too. And they'd been jostling for places of honour around the dinner table. Jesus notes their hunger for status, and he calls them to humility. In verse 13, Jesus then recommends, should the host hold any future banquets, he should invite those who can't repay any favours. If he does, then he'll be rewarded not by men, but by God at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the diners present is quick to endorse Jesus' words. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, he says. Let me quickly explain what this language means. 
feasting in the kingdom of God is language the Jews use to describe the great day when their Messiah comes and God and his people will be perfectly united with one heart and mind. Like a wedding banquet given to celebrate the union of a bride and a groom. Anyway, Jesus' reply challenges the assumptions behind the diner's statements. The diner's statement shows he automatically assumes he's guaranteed a place at God's great feast. He thinks, of course I'll be there, and of course all you lovely people gathered with me will be with me too. But the diner hasn't taken seriously the holiness of God or God's final judgment to come. This is why the diner tries to move the focus of Jesus' teaching away from the topic of the less fortunate and onto more comfortable ground. Jesus has been provocative enough already, so the diner makes a statement around which hopefully all of those present can agree. I picture this diner a bit like a, a modern day relativist. He's lovely. He's polite. He's an amiable sort who prefers to skirt over difference and gloss over hard issues. Unfortunately, though, his concern for harmony means he avoids facing some uncomfortable truths. The diner's behavior suggests he sees God as this kind of permanently relaxed, chilled out being who doesn't really care about people's behavior in this world. The diner assumes that at the end of the day, it'll be all right for him and his mates. I know I like to think this way too, and perhaps some of you do. The parable that Jesus now tells in verses 16 to 24 warns against this wrong assumption. The parable Jesus tells warns about the danger of having wrong priorities. Heading to wrong priorities. The parable begins with a certain man preparing to hold a great banquet and he's invited many guests. Then when the final preparations are in place, he sends out his servants to tell those who've already been invited, come now, everything is ready. This double invitation process was very familiar in an age when time was somewhat fluid. Firstly, you would give notice in advance, you see. That way, the invitees could plan well for its future coming. You can imagine that a banquet on such a large scale would have been the talk of the town. Every day, people would pass the host in the street and say, how are preparations coming along? They'd get their clothes that they were going to wear ready early. And they'd prepare their work so they still had time to come when the final invite came. Then secondly, when the final invitation does come, the banquet is ready. The host would announce, this is the day. Come and enjoy my feast. There was no chance anybody who'd been invited could have been caught by surprise. Now, I'm looking forward to going to two family weddings this year. But the reason I'm able to go to both amongst all the changes that are happening in our lives at the moment is, is because I received the notification of the date well in advance. I got the save the date that you quickly jot into your calendar, don't you? 
the formal invitation for one, actually only arrived a few weeks ago, even though the wedding day's in April, such is the modern way. And I've not yet received the formal invite for the wedding I've got to go into in August. But both dates have been firmly blocked off in my diary for almost a year. I made sure those diary dates went in because I care for the people getting married. I don't want to let them down, to miss out or have an unfortunate diary clash. This is what makes the excuses for not coming to the man's banquet in verses 18 to 20 of the parable so shockingly rude. Just look down at them with me. I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. I've just bought ten cows. I've got to go plough. I've just got married. I've got to go... Well, we won't go there, shall we? (laughs) Yes, these are all big life events. But they're not urgent like the banquet. They can all wait till the next day. The field's not going anywhere. The cow trial can wait. And the host of the banquet would happily have invited both newlyweds to come to his banquet if only they'd asked. So even if two of the three excuses are preceded with the word please, all three excuses were rude. The excuses reveal a me-first attitude, which shows no respect for the banquet's host. The first two excuses place material things above human relationships. And the three excuses combined are just a sample of all the excuses that come back to the host, explaining why his originally invited guests can't come. The originally invited guests have the wrong priority. So why is Jesus teaching the first part of this parable to the Jewish religious leaders gathered around a table with him? I believe it's because the interpretation would have been easy for the Jewish audience to understand. The first invitation given out in verse 16 represents God's message to the Jews, given out to all the Old Testament prophets, predicting the feast day of the Messiah to come. The second invitation, given out by the servant of the banquet host, is the invitation Jesus came to give himself. Jesus is officially inviting God's people, the Jews, to come now. In the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the time of God's feast has begun. Jesus is saying, come, taste and see that the Lord is good, as it says in, verse, in Psalm 34. But the religious leaders, they're full of wonderful excuses, worldly excuses, to turn Jesus' invitation down. They've got their priorities wrong. They're willing to snub the master and his servant to suit their own ends. Now, I know many of us gathered here uh, are Christians. But I must, uh, after three and three quarter years, direct Jesus' invitation once more to you. Have you made a priority to say yes to Jesus' invitation? To come and feast in the presence of God? Perhaps you're just exploring 
what accepting Jesus' invitation might mean. Let me tell you. It means letting go of any excuses you've previously used not to take Jesus seriously. It's being ready to make your relationship with God the number one priority in your life. It's facing up to the uncomfortable truth that Jesus needed to die on the cross to save you from your offense of your sin before God. And it means opening yourself up to God so that His Spirit can continually transform you from within. This might not feel like an easy invitation to accept. And big things in life will always come to get in the way. But nothing is more important or more urgent than accepting God's invitation to come and dine with him. Please don't delay Say yes to Jesus' invitation right now. Let's return to the parable under my third heading, Wrong People to Find Out Why. In verse 21, the servant returns to his master, the host, and reports that none of the original invitees are willing to come to the banquet. The master of the banquet is angry about this. Now, putting aside the huge snub for a moment... I don't know about you, but personally, my blood pressure rises even at finding a bag of half-eaten salad just hiding, snuck there at the back of the fridge drawer. I hate the waste of throwing old food away. Well, if you're anything like me, you can imagine how angry the banquet host must feel. The dining places are set. The food is ready to be served but none of the invited guests have turned up. The master will not let his food go to waste. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Notice the people listed in verse 21 are an exact echo of those listed in verse 13. These are people high society tends to ignore. They're the wrong type of people to help if you're looking to advance in this world. These people can't uh, can't repay your kindness back in this life. These people are dependent on grace. And they receive this grace gladly. They accept the invitation, so they now sit around the master's banqueting table but still there's more room. So the master asks his servant to go out and spread the net even further. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This reminds me of the story of the Mexican girl, Ruby Ibarra, who celebrated her 15th uh, birthday party at the end of last year. Ruby lived in the normally quiet ranching village of La Joya, Mexico. And before the party, a local uh, journalist and photographer posted on uh, her father's Facebook page a video of Ruby's uh, cowboy-wearing, hat-wearing father uh, describing a birthday party in ultimate detail. 
It described the food, the horse races, and the local uh, bands that would be there. After which, he announced, everyone is cordially invited to come. Well, the invitation was only originally meant for the local communities. But uh, it went wild on social media. An estimated 30,000 people turned up to celebrate Ruby's coming-of-age party in a hometown of normally only 140 residents. This is the type of reach the master of the banquet expects his servants to achieve in the parable Jesus tells. The servant is to reach out as far as he can and compel even strangers to come in. In the original Greek, that word compel carries a sense of force to almost make people attend. It's to urge, to beg, to plead. The servant is to do all he can to see that every place around the master's banqueting table is taken. There's an air of chaos involved. You can imagine the surprise on the new guest faces. Uh, They look round at all the wrong types of people gathered with them. The wrong type of people are now enjoying the feast. Meanwhile, the original invitees who assume they were right with God are the, wrong, are the ones who will miss out. By the time they've admired their land, tested out their new gadgets, and followed their lusts, there'll be no food left to taste. The seemingly, wrong, uh, the seemingly right type of people made the wrong response, and there'll be no bubble and squeak the next day. Perhaps now, after hearing this parable, the comfortable diner who was quick to endorse Jesus' original statement, along with the rest of the other religious leaders gathered round, will face up to some hard truths and start to take Jesus' message seriously. Let's finish by thinking what a right response to Jesus' teaching might be. The right response, personally, and as a community. On a personal level, if you're already a follower of Jesus, the right response to this parable is not to get complacent in your relationship with God or treat the priority of his word with contempt. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he wasn't mucking about. The danger for us who follow Jesus for a while is to relativize our faith and let the things of the world compete for our ultimate love and affection and so get our priorities wrong. If this is you, then out of love for you, as I prepare to leave, can I compel you to take your faith in Jesus seriously? Stay true to the narrow path. Invest time in God's word. Don't get distracted by things that can lead you astray. Above all, remember that it's only by grace that we're saved. For those of you here this morning who've listened to Jesus' invitation, but doubt your worthiness before God, remember, it's the wrong type of people 
who Jesus invites in. God's grace is sufficient to feed you and me. Surprise yourself. Make the right response to Jesus' invitation now. To do so, say yes in your heart to Jesus. And then at the end of the service, it'll be great to tell somebody over in the prayer corner. They long to welcome you into God's family and pray God's blessing on you. Now let's look at what it means to make a right response to Jesus' parable as a whole community. First and foremost, I believe members of Holy Trinity should see ourselves as underservants of Jesus, our servant King. Later in Luke's Gospel, Jesus describes his ministry as to seek and save the lost. And Jesus has placed on us, his servants, the same ministry. So my prayer is that Holy Trinity will become an invitational community. I'd love for Holy Trinity to become an invitational community that is willing to step out of its comfort zone and reach out to those who to us appear to be the wrong type of people. To reach out to people who are afraid to even step into this church. To reach out and invite those in who are complete strangers to us. To help them know God's love. To go out into the country lanes and roads of our workplaces and the social sections in which we mix. This might feel a bit scary for some. And people might mock you for being the only Christian they know. They might mock the church for being serious about what we believe. But remember how the master in this parable asked the servant to compel others to come in. What's Jesus doing any less when he died for our sins on the cross? So if we're seen to exert all our energies passionately inviting people to know God, is that such a bad thing? If Holy Trinity is truly to be a loving community, will we rest while others miss out? And let this be an encouragement if you've been trying to faithfully witness to a friend or partner who you believe has had their priorities wrong for a long time. Please don't give up your inviting do so knowing that God hears the force and heart of your prayers. One day I promise all your efforts will make sense. For now God has given the Christian a foretaste of God's great banquet to come. Those who've made the right response to Jesus' invitation have already been welcomed in to God's great banqueting house. Right now we're getting to enjoy a kind of aperitif in the foyer maybe we're smiling and laughing at the persistence of God's grace to us and so as we gather to eat over the next few weeks let us remember what God's done let's continue in his service 
urging others to take their place along with us. Amen.